0: The kingdom of God is a unique kingdom. While it seeks to grow and advance as any other kingdom does, it doesn't grow or advance through violence. In fact, any time you have seen something that was promoted as the kingdom of God that advanced through violence or through force, it wasn't actually the kingdom of God that was growing. Rather, the kingdom of God grows and advances as citizens of the kingdom of God tell citizens of the other kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, what our king has done for us in the gospel and urge them to repent of their sins, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thus defect from one kingdom to the other kingdom, to flee from the ruler of the kingdom of darkness and submit themselves to the rule and the reign of the king of kings and the Lord over lords. However, trying to advance the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel can be discouraging. So often it seems as though our efforts are ineffective and fruitless. There are times when the Word of God is proclaimed and there doesn't seem to be any response from saint or sinner alike. We try to share the message of life with those who are dead in trespasses and sin and they reject it out of hand and don't seem to care one way or the other. We try to give the light of the gospel to those in darkness only to find they love darkness more than light and they're going to be fine just where they are. We invite people to church. They say they'll come, but they don't. Or if they do come, they don't come back. People we love and desire to see saved have no concern for their eternal souls For their eternal destinies, and they take no heed to our warnings. This can all be very discouraging, very disheartening, and it makes us wonder, what's the point? Why bother? Why try any longer? The passage we're going to look at today offers us hope as we seek to advance the kingdom by sharing the gospel. The parable we're studying reminds us that the gospel has inherent power by itself. And while we may not see immediate results, when we share the gospel, a mysterious process begins. The process is a work of God, and it's a work of the gospel. And while it's often hidden from our side or from the side of any man, it results in souls saved and lives changed. Open your Bible to Mark chapter 4, verse 26. We're going to read verses 26 through 29. It's on page 764. If you have a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up daily and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the stalk, then the head, then the mature grain and the head. Now when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The title of the message this morning is Casting Gospel Seeds. Let's pray. Father, we love you today. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for all you've given and done. Lord, we are thankful for the godly men in our lives who have influenced us. I am thankful for my dad, the godly example he has been for me in my life, the way he has loved my mother, the way he has loved me and my brother and our families. Help the men in our church. Help us to be the godly men that we ought to be. Help us to take our responsibilities to serve you and to serve our families seriously and let us do them well and let us do them for your glory. Guide today as we look at this passage, let your Holy Spirit make it living and active in our lives. Let your Holy Spirit take this and stir us to be faithful, faithful evangelists, I guess, faithful to share, to cast gospel seeds as we go throughout our lives. Renew our confidence in the power of the gospel, renew our confidence in and your desire and your power to save. Give us opportunities in the coming week. To talk to people about Jesus. And faithfully cast the gospel seeds into their lives. Fill me with your spirit this morning. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. God would speak your word and your ways for your glory. Have your way in all things Lord. We need you today. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. What we see in verse 28 and 29, I find to be very hopeful. The soil produces crops, the stalk the head, and then it, it grows. It's hopeful because the seed he's talking about is the seed of the gospel. And it tells us the gospel message will produce fruit. And we can be a play a part in harvesting this fruit. It's hopeful Because each one of us can play a part in helping someone else come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. It's hopeful because each one of us can have an eternal impact on the lives of those around it. However, as we look at this passage and the hope it gives, we cannot miss the connection from verse 26 to 29. In verse 26, the man casts the seed upon the soil, and then in verse 29, he reaps the harvest. The connection between these two is so important because there's no harvest in verse 29 without the casting of the seed in verse 26. And This connection leads us to the central truth for our message today. We 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 won't harvest gospel fruit if we don't cast gospel seeds. As born again disciples of Jesus, there should be something within us that wants to reach people for Christ, impact people for eternity, to win souls and make disciples for the glory of God, to advance the kingdom of God. However, this desire will never come to fruition if we are not faithful at casting gospel seed in the hearts and the lives of the people that we know and love and the people we encounter. Before we will see the harvest of verse 26, we must be faithful to do the casting of the seed in verse 26. The harvest in 29, casting of the seed in verse 26. So if we're going to be faithful to cast gospel seed, we must first cast gospel seeds generously. Verse 26, the man casts the seed upon the soil. I like the image it gives. Uh, It it doesn't give the image of of a person who takes seed and meticulously plants it in the ground. Uh, Instead, what he's doing is he's got a bag over his shoulder and he reaches in and he grabs a handful of seed. And as he walks along, he throws it like this and he's just scattering and casting the seed all over the place. Now, the reason I, I say generously with this is because of. The parable we looked at the first of the chapter, the parable of the soils. Remember the parable of the soils. It talks about the seed being sown and it lands on different kinds of ground. Some lands on hard ground where it doesn't do anything. Some lands on ground that is very thin or or very shallow and so it springs up. But then because there's no depth of the root, it's scorched when the sun comes up. Other seed lands upon ground where it sprouts up but there's thorns and thistles there and it chokes the seed and it doesn't produce the fruit. And then some lands on the good ground which brings forth fruit. And the fruit is different amounts of fruit is even produced upon that. Some 30, some 60, and some is 100 times as much. Now, when we looked at the parable of the souls, we focused on it relating to us as hearers of the Word. And that's an accurate application of the passage. But the passage also gives us an application about people who hear the gospel. Right? There are going to be people, as we share the gospel with people, we talk to people about Jesus, there are some that are just going to be hard-hearted about it. They're not going to care. It's not going to do anything in their lives. And then there's going to be some that are going to hear it, and they're going to respond immediately. They like the message, but they're only ever going to push into the shallows of the Christian faith. And as soon as Christian faith gets hard, as soon as being a follower of Christ gets difficult, they're going to fall by the wayside. Some ground, some that we share, it's going to go to people who are going to hear and they're going to respond, but their lives are just so busy. And they can't prioritize Jesus over the other busyness of their life. And so the busyness of their life is going to, to choke the good seed out and it's not going to produce eternal fruit. And then there's going to be some we share And they're going to be legitimately saved, born again, and live for Jesus. And they're going to be fruitful. And it's going to be a varying amount of fruit. Now the reason that the way this goes to casting generously is the farmer casts his seed knowing it's going to land on different kinds of soil. When he takes that handful of seed and he just slings it, he knows some of it's going to land on good soil. He knows some of it's going to land on shallow soil. He knows some of it is going to land on thorny soil. And he knows some of it is going to land on good soil. He, he doesn't let the fact that some is not going to be fruitful keep him from sowing seed. He, he doesn't say, well, a huge portion of this is, is not going to bear the fruit I want, so I'm just not going to sow any seed at all. He doesn't go along and try to pick and choose and say, well, this is, this, this is the soil that will be fruitful, so I'm going to sow all of my seed here. He just indiscriminately takes a handful of seed and casts it in front of him as he walks. And he takes it and throws it out all over for us. These, this, this picture, it gives us an idea And it gives us a picture about what it means to generously cast gospel seeds into people's lives. If you have tried to share the gospel with someone, unless you are extraordinarily gifted more than Billy Graham or any other evangelist who has ever lived, you've shared the gospel with people who did not respond and did not get saved. You've shared the gospel with people who only endured for a while. You shared the gospel with people who got caught up in other activities and fell away. And you shared the gospel with people who were saved and are still living for Jesus today. And it's danger with us is to become so focused on the ones that didn't bear fruit that we don't try to share the gospel at all. Because of how often it seemed ineffective, how often it didn't produce any kind of fruit in their life. And, and I mean the reality is if we share the gospel, if we cast gospel seeds out into the world, into people's lives, people are going to respond in different ways. And, and a non-response, or a time, or just a time response where they fall away after a while, this that's a part of it. It's always going to happen. Even Jesus didn't reach everybody in and around Jerusalem when he ministered. We want to be brutally honest about the reality, the facts. The facts are Some people we share the gospel with aren't going to be saved. But we don't want to let those facts cause us to be discouraged and give up. And instead of focusing on the fact that some haven't responded or the fact that some won't respond, we should focus on the reality that some will respond. Some will be saved. And so we generously cast seed out. I think we we all want to be a part of what God is is doing in the world. But to do this, we have to, to cast gospel seeds. But God's primary thing He wants to do in this world is save souls and change lives and see disciples of Jesus made and churches planted and strengthened and started and the gospel go to the ends of the earth. But we can't be a part of what God is doing And what God is wanting to do if we're not faithful to plant gospel seeds. We will never see a harvest on the seeds we don't plant. Y'all know this in the natural. Most of y'all do gardens in this time of the year. You know if you don't plant tomatoes, you don't get tomatoes. You don't plant cucumbers and then get mad because tomatoes don't come up. You don't not plant a garden and then get angry because no garden showed up. In the natural realm, we all know that if we don't plant, we don't harvest. It's true in the spiritual as well. It's true with the gospel. It's great to have a heart to want to see people saved. We should all have that. It's great to intercede for others and pray God would intervene in their lives and save them. We should all do that. But we all have to go beyond those two things and we all have to go to the place where we are casting gospel seeds because we will not get to be a part of God's harvest. If we are not a part of the ones who are scattering gospel seeds, so we scatter them generously. Second, cast gospel seeds confidently. Now, I know nothing about gardening or farming. I wasn't raised on a farm. And I was in FFA, but only because it got me out of other classes. So I know nothing about agriculture at all. Yet even with my lack of knowledge, one thing I do know is that the best farmer, the best gardener cannot produce fruit, right? They cannot make the seed produce the fruit. They can prepare the soil. They can fertilize the soil. They can water the seed once it's planted. They can do all of these things to prepare. But in the end, whether something grows or whether it doesn't is up to God and the natural cycle he has built into seeds and soil. It's very similar when it comes to sharing the gospel and scattering gospel seeds. Look at verse 27 and 28. The farmer casts the seed, but then he goes to bed and he goes on with his life. And the seed sprouts up, but he doesn't know how. The soil produces the crop, first the stalk, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But Jesus is telling us this this natural thing about soil, that you can't make it grow, but he's wanting to us to get a spiritual principle. Just as the farmer cannot make the seeds produce fruit, those who sow gospel seeds cannot make the gospel bear fruit. You and I, we cannot save a soul. You and I, we cannot change a life. In fact, saving souls and changing lives is not even our job. That's that's Jesus' job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to be faithful to cast gospel seeds. We're faithful to maybe prepare the soil in someone's life by living a life that commends the gospel to them. We can water the soil by praying God's Spirit would take what we've shared and and work in their heart. By inviting them to church and talking to them. And we can sow gospel seeds and scatter them in their lives and every chance we get. But in the end, that's that's all we can do. The, The result of what happens is up to the Holy Spirit, the person, and the power of the gospel. Now, I think this should be encouraging to all of us. Because one of the reasons many people give for being hesitant to share the gospel is we feel ineffective. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to save a soul, how to change a life. And our fear of failure prevents us from trying. We think if our best efforts aren't good enough, why try at all? And I dare say anyone who's ever tried to reach someone for Jesus Christ has felt this way. So the encouraging and hopeful thing we learn from this passage is we never fail when we try to reach people for Jesus. We only fail when we fail to try. If we have scattered gospel seeds faithfully, we did not fail no matter what that seed produces now, later, or never. It is never about our abilities. It is always about the power of the gospel. And it's not true just for us in our day. This has always been the case. The great apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also for the Gentile or for the Greek." Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew it was the power of God. Paul knew the gospel message had divine authoritative power to do what no other power on earth could do. The gospel could change lives. The gospel could save souls. The gospel could bring people to faith in Jesus and that would make all the difference in the world. All they had to do was hear the message and then believe the message. God the Holy Spirit and the gospel message would do the rest. Paul could not be made ashamed of the gospel because he was confident in its power to lead people to salvation, to lead anyone to salvation who believed. And this is great because Paul was a guy who had a lot of things going for him. Paul had been raised in a wealthy home. Paul had been a very influential member of his community. Paul had one of the greatest educations of the day uh, of the day. And yet Paul makes it clear the the success of the gospel was not dependent upon Paul. It wasn't because he was an eloquent speaker. It wasn't because he was smarter than everyone else. It wasn't because of his connections or anything else. He had Paul's success in ministry. The people who were saved through the ministry of the Apostle Paul were saved. Simply because Paul scattered gospel seed and the gospel and the Holy Spirit did the work. The same Holy Spirit who empowered Paul will empower you and I. The same gospel the apostle Paul shared is the same gospel we can share. Paul's abilities are not beyond us because he's an apostle and we're not. We have access to the same message Paul had access to. We have access to the same Holy Spirit Paul had access to. The same fruit can flow from our lives as from Paul's if we're faithful to cast gospel seeds. When we let our fears about our perceived weaknesses in sharing the gospel prevent us from sharing the gospel, what we're actually saying is the power is in me. And the power is never in us. The power is always in the Gospel. The power is always in the Holy Spirit. And it is never in us. Our job is not to save souls. Our job is not to change lives. Our job is to faithfully share the Gospel and then trust the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Gospel to lead them to salvation and to change their lives. God does not expect us to save souls and change lives. God does not expect us to sanctify people or bring change into their lives. That's His responsibility. That's His work. He can do this through everyone and through anyone who believes the gospel and will faithfully cast the gospel to others. What God expects from us is that we would faithfully cast gospel seed into the lives of those around us. He expects us to be faithful to do what we can to get the Gospel to the people who don't yet know it or don't yet believe it. And as we are faithful to cast Gospel seeds, we can be certain God the Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit always does something through the Gospel. Always works in people's lives. Always does something even if we can't see it. However, He does what He does through the Gospel as it is shared. The Holy Spirit does not share the Gospel with people. The Holy Spirit does not scatter Gospel seeds. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share the Gospel. The Holy Spirit empowers us to share Gospel seeds. The Holy Spirit then works in the seed we have scattered to bring forth the fruit in people's lives. So we should... Cast gospel seeds confidently knowing there is power in the gospel and there is power in the Holy Spirit. And then finally, cast gospel seed expectantly. Verse 28 and 29, it does produce fruit and then the harvest comes. There will come a time... When those who faithfully cast gospel seed will get to be a part of the harvest. The one main thing that separates those who take part in the gospel harvest and those who don't is expectation. It seems very often those who expect the gospel to bear fruit see the gospel bear fruit. And while those who really don't expect the gospel to bear fruit typically don't. now here's why I think this is the case. Those who expect results, expect the gospel to bear fruit, are more faithful to do what brings the results they expect. Again, this is one of those things we see in the natural world. Those who expect they will lose weight are more likely to diet than those who don't. Those who expect an education to benefit them are more likely to stay in college than those who don't. What we expect, we're more likely to do. What's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. Those who expect the gospel will bear fruit in someone's life are more likely to cast gospel seed to the lives of those they encounter. Since this is the case, we must be sure we expect to see fruit. We should be to make ourselves to come to a place where we expect the gospel to do something in people's lives. We should have such a confidence in the power of the gospel, the greatness of Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit. We are more surprised when people don't respond than we are when people do. Now, I know this may sound contradictory since the reality is some aren't going to respond, but there should still be an expectation. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes the seed fruitful. Those things are always true, no matter what's going on in somebody else's life. So there's a a confidence as we share it, then we should have an expectation that the Spirit and the Gospel are going to work in people's lives and make an eternal difference. And I think if we could ensure we had this confidence, we had this expectation we would be far more faithful to share. And again, I think with even guys like Billy Graham, why why did Billy Graham go all over the world and host those great crusades? It wasn't to make money. It was because he expected that when he stood up to preach, the Spirit and the Gospel would change hearts and change lives in them. Why do missionaries go overseas? It's not because it's easy but because they expect the Gospel and the Holy Spirit to change lives. That's why they go to hard places with Muslim countries and people who have never even heard of Jesus. They expect the Gospel message is greater than the Muslim message. They expect the Spirit of God can overcome the hardest hearts, the darkest minds. That's the kind of expectation we should have. We should... And maybe this isn't... I don't know, maybe you do have... Maybe you are just an abundant of expectation that overflows in your life. I will be honest. At times, I struggle to have this kind of expectation. I, I'm not up here saying, be like me and the world will be a better place. That's not the answer. But if we could man, cry out to God to give us this expectation, and, and an enduring expectation... That we share and nobody responds, and we're just like, oh, I really thought it was going through this time. Oh, well, on to the next. And the more we're like that, the more likely we're to see fruit. The more likely we are to see it bear fruit. Because if we cast it all over the place in everybody's heart, it's going to sink into somebody. Right? But if, if I've got it on my mind, I just want to reach Evelyn, up and her heart is hard up giving it to her and giving it to her and giving it to her and nobody else but her and she's not taking it, it's not going to do any good. Man, this is, it's not there's no reason to have a hope. This is why we, we scatter it and cast it all over. Because it's going to sink in on somebody. Somebody is going to have the kind of heart that will allow it to sink in and it will bear fruit. We just have to have that expectation, and so cast gospel seeds generously, confidently, and expectantly. And we can expect it because not because I said it, not even just because of this one parable. Look at what Jesus said, or I'm sorry, what Jesus said, uh, what Isaiah, what God said through Isaiah. So will my word be, which goes out of my mouth, it will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, without succeeding in the purpose for which I. Sent it. We're going through Isaiah on Wednesday nights. Eventually we'll be in Isaiah 55 and we'll stay this passage. And We'll see this is a powerful passage talking about the power of God's word. that The power to change lives, to save souls. It is in the word of God. And it is God who makes the word effective. There is something particularly freeing and hope giving about knowing the power and authority comes from God's word and not our eloquence or our skill. Now this is, to me again, I think this is important. Because we might even feel, well, who am I to share the gospel with someone? You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've lived. I don't have the authority to do that. The authority is not in us. The authority is in the Word of God. One of the best examples I've ever heard of someone who explained this was actually Kirk Cameron. right? Growing uh, Whatever show he was on, TV show, actor. Now he goes with great comfort and does evangelism stuff. And he was being interviewed on like Dateline. And they asked him, they said, Why should we listen to you preach? I mean, you're just a a former child actor. You've not done anything. You've not been to seminary. You you don't have any, there's nothing in you that would give you the authority to tell us what's right or wrong or or how to be saved. And he said, You're you're right. I don't. And he said, The the authority is in here. The authority is in the message itself. The, The authority is in the Word. It's not in us. The message isn't authoritative because we have some sort of moral authority to share it with others. The message is authoritative because it is the power of God. It is the message of God that brings salvation to all who will believe. The word of God will do the work. It has the power. It has the authority. Not us. And we're told to not become discouraged in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we don't become weary. Do not become discouraged in doing good. Scattering gospel seeds is one of the greatest goods we could ever do in the world. So we don't become discouraged in it because there will be a harvest. There will be a time where we get to reap from it if we are faithful to cast gospel seeds. But if we get discouraged and we become weary, we're going to miss it. Again, we don't know. I, I, I was going to bring a bag filled to see you storm all over everybody, but Kelly cleans the church and she would not be happy with that. But think about it. What if Aurora is going to be the one where it's going to catch up? And right here, I get discouraged. I'm like, forget it. It's not doing any good. It's not that the Word wasn't doing the work. It's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't going to bring fruit. I stopped too soon. That's the problem. I stopped before I got to the place it was going to go. The promise. I mean, that's a promise from God. That if we keep on, if we don't become weary, if we don't give up, we will reap. That's in any good work we do for the Lord. So in sharing the gospel and casting gospel seeds, there will come a time where we get to be the one to lead someone to Jesus. We get to be the one to see the gospel take root and good ground and bring forth fruit and then become fully devoted disciples of Jesus. We can all get to be a part of that if we will generously cast gospel seeds and not get discouraged. And give up. This is a promise from God's Word. This, this is true. And if we believe God's Word is true, then this is how we ought to live. Because ultimately, we show we believe God's Word is true by the way we live and not just in the words we say. To say, yes, I, I believe God's Word has the power and the authority. Yes, I believe those who don't give up will reap in due time is easy. But to continually share God's word and share the gospel, not grow weary and not give up, that's difficult. But it's in that doing the difficult over and over again is where we show what we really believe. Faith is always shown in the actions we take and not merely the words we say. People in our community, Guyman, Goodwill, Hooker, Texoma in desperate need of Jesus. And they're at various stages of unbelief. There are some whose hearts are hard and they just aren't ready to receive, but we can cast gospel seed there anyway. Others have softer hearts, but they're not quite ready to go deep. But we can cast gospel seeds there anyway. Others have tender hearts, but their lives are so busy It's not going to bear a lot of fruit probably, but we can cast gospel seed there anyway. And then there are those whose hearts are soft and ready to receive, and we surely want to cast gospel seed there. But again, here's why we want to scatter it indiscriminately. I can't tell who's who, can you? Can you look around, Guymon, and tell whose hearts are hard and whose hearts are soft and whose hearts are busy? and who's not going to go deep, and who's going to be shallow. In my youth, when I knew everything, I thought I could, but I was often surprised at the kind people I met who had really hard hearts. And I was often surprised at the really smart people I knew who never went beyond the shallows. And I was surprised at the people who seemed to have a laser-like focus on something, and yet were so busy the Gospel didn't bear fruit. And I was often surprised at the times it took root in someone's life. And in my mind, I know you never had a judgmental thought like this, I thought, that's not going to last. And yet they're fully devoted disciples of Jesus today. I am a horrible judge of what kind of heart or what kind of soil a person has. And I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say this. You are too. You're not any better at it than I am. And so we have to scatter the, the seed generously and indiscriminately because we don't know who it's going to land on. We don't know who's going to take. We don't have a clue in reality. And so we just do it knowing that eventually something is going to stick. Something is going to land. And something good is going to happen in their lives. Before we close, let me give you some practical ways to cast gospel seed as you go through life. Invite people to church. This is one of the easiest ways to cast gospel seed. So invite people to church. Inviting people to church is easy. It's non-threatening. It's biblical. It's biblical. We see the Gospel of John chapter 1. When people meet Jesus, the first thing they do is they go get their friends and they take Him to Jesus. Now, for those of us who were raised in church, we typically assume everyone knows they're welcome. I, I, I had good experiences in churches growing up. I was raised in good churches. The church has always been a home for me. Even when I was in the army and living... A wild degenerate life. I knew I was welcome in chapel. I knew I could go to a church, and I knew I could find the help and the hope I needed in that place, whether I went or not. The reality is, most people don't really know that. A lot of people have an idea that only that a church is like a country club, and if you're not an exclusive member, you're not a you're not welcome at all. Or they think they've sinned in a certain way, and it has excluded them from being able to to come. Or they think maybe. They're too dirty, they, they get off work at a certain time, and if they came, they might get our pews dirty, and they, they wouldn't want to do that. And what we want to do is eliminate all those excuses and invite people to church. Typically, when they do surveys of people who aren't a part of a church, the number one reason they give up why they don't go to church is that they were never invited. And if they say if they were invited, they'd be very likely to come. Now, let me say, I know that's an excuse. Right? If you have invited very many people to church... You know. Many people will say, Oh, really? When's when's service? Let me write that down. Okay. Sunday. 1050. Okay. I'll be there. You'll see me. And then you don't. And then the next time you see them, they go, Right? So saying I was not invited, yeah, it's an excuse. Very often it's just a convenient excuse. But here's what we want to do. We can't overcome it it being an excuse. We can't. But what we can do is eliminate it as an excuse. What we can do is ensure nobody in Gaiman, Goodwill, Texhoma, and Hooker, nobody we encounter can say, Well, I'd go to the Free Will Baptist Church, but nobody there ever invited me. Right? Well, they'd have to say, Oh, I just don't want to go to the church. They have to come for some another reason. They could never say I wasn't invited. So invite people to church. Secondly, share a personal testimony. Right? An easy way to, to cast gospel seed is just tell what God, what Jesus has done for you. And what He means to you. This isn't trying to argue them in the faith. This isn't really trying to convince them of anything. It is simply telling people what Christ has done for us. Um, if you want to write down Mark 5, 18-20. this familiar story about a man who was possessed with legions of demons. After the demons were cast out, he wanted to go with Jesus. Jesus said, no, you can't go with me. Which was unusual. He typically let him. And instead he told the guy... He said, go back to your family and friends and tell them what good things the Lord has done for you. And he went back and began to tell. And as he did, the people were amazed. The next time Jesus returns to this region, there's crowds of people. Now, here's why that's significant. After Jesus cast legions of demons out of the man, the crowds of people said, go away. What you did was scary. We, we don't like you. Please leave our region and don't come back. But when Jesus comes back, the crowds are waiting for him, clamoring to try to touch him, to be healed, to hear what he has to say. What made the difference? Well, I believe it was one formerly legion-possessed man who went around and said, let me tell you about what happened to me, what God has done for me. Every disciple of Jesus should be able to give a personal testimony about the things Jesus has done for us. We should be able to tell about the changes He has made in our lives since we were saved. Prayers, He has answered ways, He is speaking to us through His Word. Ways He has guided us, how He has comforted us. And we should never underestimate the power of a personal testimony. Now, in giving a personal testimony, there's two kinds we can give. We can give the general, He's answered prayers, He spoke through the Word, He's guided me. Or we can give our salvation testimony. If we're going to give our salvation testimony, tell it like this. Life before Jesus. Here's what was going on in my life before I came to know Jesus. How I came to know Jesus. What happened in my life that, that brought me to an encounter with Christ where I had to make a decision about Him. What my life's been like since I met Jesus. Right? And that's an outline any of us can take in, I mean, just a few minutes. You could write something like that out that would be three to five minutes long, and you could tell your personal testimony. Now, as you tell your testimony about that, Here's some things to avoid. Don't sanitize your testimony. Right? often, especially as western Oklahomans, we're very private people and we don't want to talk about things that are personal, that maybe are embarrassing. So when we talk about our life before Jesus, we sanitize it. Oh, I did some things that that weren't right. But you know, like once I... I heard a guy tell a story and his testimony was he used to get mad and stomp his foot. I would think... That's the sin you were delivered from, brother. We are not the same because I've had much worse issues that I've had to overcome. I don't know if your Jesus can save me or not because if I, I would be—I would consider myself a good person if all I ever did was get mad and stomp my foot, right? So we, we sanitize to the point that somebody who really is trapped in deep sin they think, "Gosh, that's not the same." I mean, what happened to me can't overcome like you, and we don't have to get into all the gory details. But there's a level of honesty that needs to be there. A level of authenticity that needs to be there. And and, and then, not only don't sanitize, don't glamorize. Uh, I've heard people give their testimony when they talked about their sin. The way they told it, it was like this. Well, when I, before I came to know Jesus, woo, well, I lived a high life. Man, I was doing this and doing that and sleeping around and getting drunk and taking drugs. Gosh, I, every day was just like a... Whew mind blowing party to me. It was the greatest time ever. But then I met Jesus and since then I just, you know, I stopped all that. It's been hard. I mean it's been really hard to kinda live for Jesus because I think back to all that and but I I don't do it. I don't do it. Right? And so it's like the way they tell their testimony, they had all this joy before they met Jesus, but now there's just this drudgery, but I don't want to go to hell, so they'll stick with it. Right? Don't do that either. Honestly. If you look back and your greatest time in life was prior to knowing Jesus, you, you really may not be saved. I, I would just honestly say you probably don't really know the Lord Jesus Christ who gives us life and life more abundantly and the joy that strengthens us in our life. So don't glamorize our sin. Another way is, is offer to pray for people. Again, easy thing to do. Even people who don't believe in God probably are not going to turn down and offer to pray for them. I, I'll pray for you about that. Thank you. Now, some may. There's always exceptions, but by and large, they won't. Even like, I can't remember his name, but he was a big time atheist. Like, he wrote books, like anti God books. He got cancer, maybe Christopher Hitchens, and he was going to die. And Rick Warren and and other pastors like that who knew him offered to pray for him. And here's what he said I'll accept it. I don't believe your God's going to make any difference in my life, I don't believe your God's real but I appreciate your concern for me by being willing to pray for me. Right? Rare is the person who will say, don't pray for me, that's stupid. I hate your God. I hate your prayers. You're a moron if you do that. They'll appreciate it. And then if God does something in their life, they say, hey, I'm getting better. I've got this going on. You can say, there's a God who's in heaven that I pray to. And I would say with this, offer to pray with them in the moment. Don't just say you're going to pray for them and then don't do it say you're going to pray for them and then do it, but then in that moment, say, well, let me pray right now for you. Now, they may say, no, I don't want you to. And that's fine. You don't have to don't push it. But if they say, oh, okay, I'd appreciate it, then right there in that moment, show them you believe in a God in heaven who answers prayers. And you pray for them out loud where they can hear you call upon the name of the Lord. And trust me, that, that scatters gospel seeds into their hearts. And then just do random acts of kindness. Just, if you know someone has a need, take the opportunity to meet it. If they are having financial trouble, buy them groceries or give them a gas card or something that communicates to them. You care for them. And if they say, why would you buy me groceries? Why would you give me this gas card? You tell them there is a God in heaven who loves them and you love them too. And you just wanted to bless them in His name. And again, even if they don't like your God, that will plant gospel seeds in their hearts. And these are just a few ways we can plant gospel seeds in the lives of people. And I'm sure if we look for opportunities, we can find more ways and more opportunities to talk to people and plant and scatter gospel seeds in their lives. And the more seeds we scatter, the more fruit we'll see. But we will not see any fruit from the gospel if we do not cast the gospel seeds. Just right now, let me circle back to one thing. Paul was not ashamed of the gospel because he knew it was the power of God to salvation. He knew what it could do in a person's life. Not only because of what he had seen in others, but I believe more strongly because of what he had seen in his own life. The Apostle Paul was a living testimony of the power of the gospel to save a soul and change a life. He knew what Jesus had done in him and through him and for him. And he knew, therefore, what Jesus had done in him, he could do in others. And so he scattered gospel seeds everywhere he went. I wonder if it's possible our hesitancy to share the gospel, to scatter gospel seeds at times, is because as we look in the mirror, we don't see what Jesus can do. We don't see His power at work in us and through us and for us. As we look at ourselves in the mirror, what we see is someone who would be exactly the same if they did not believe in Jesus. We look at someone and what we see is the only difference between what I am now and what I would be is I go to church sometimes. One of the ways we have to have confidence in the power of the Gospel is to know it has done in us what Jesus has done in us and through us and for us. I mean, Jesus always changes people. The only people who left Jesus unchanged were those who rejected Him. So if you have come to Jesus for salvation, you have repented of your sins, you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have determined to follow Him in your life, there there should be Something different about your life that is just Jesus related. It's not because you're older. It's not because you're married or you have kids or or any outside thing that has nothing to do with Jesus. But just because of Jesus, this is different in my life. So as you look at your life, do you see ways the Gospel has changed you? Do you see the ways Jesus has changed you? Or... Or would you say, I, I am basically the same person I would be if I did not believe in Jesus? And if you cannot see ways Jesus has changed you, I really, I really, truly believe it's a sign you're not saved. Jesus changes everyone. Always. And if there is no change... We should understand it as there is no Jesus. And if there is no change and there is no Jesus, my friend, your greatest need today is to repent of your sins, believe the Gospel, determined to follow Jesus. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. It says God is right and I am wrong. Believing the gospel is saying that what Jesus did for me on the cross is the only reason I'm saved. I mentioned in our Sunday school class this morning, our community is filled with people who would say, I love the Lord. I think everybody ought to know something about God. People should be a part of a church, at least somewhat. But if you were to ask them. Do you need Jesus to save you or you will face the judgment of God? Their answer will be, no, I'm basically a good person. I love the Lord. I know a little bit about the big man upstairs. The big man upstairs. Dear friend, if you have not come to the place where you have realized you need Jesus to save you, you're not saved. Salvation is not found in being nominally associated with the church. Salvation is not found in saying, I believe people ought to know something about God. Salvation is not even found by saying, I love the Lord. Salvation is found by trusting in what Jesus did on the cross as the only source of salvation you have. If you believe you would be saved and go to heaven for anything other than Jesus, you are not saved. Jesus Alone saves. And whatever else you're thinking helps you get into heaven is actually keeping you out. Nothing but Jesus saves. That's what believing in Jesus is. It is saying I am saved by the blood of Jesus plus nothing and minus nothing. Jesus saved me and all I contributed to my salvation was the sin that made it necessary. And if we have not come to that place in our life, we have not believed and we are not saved. And then we follow Jesus. I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. These are individual decisions that each one of us have to make on our own. And this is where it all starts. I hope we all go out and become fervent evangelists for the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope we scatter gospel seed all over this community and we see Gaiman One for Christ. Before we do that, we better be sure we are truly born again ourselves. The gospel has borne fruit in our lives. This is the great need. This is where it all has to start. And apart from that, nothing else matters. All right, let's stand.